to shut up the voice in your head that thinks that drinking is a good idea, you need to get away from day one. The only thing that I found that works to turn off a compulsive request to repeat a destructive behavior is to extinguish the behavior and wait. And so you have to actually get away from day one and use whatever tools it takes to get away from day one because it does eventually stop asking. But like any good compulsive behavior, if you give into it once, you sort of reignite the you reignite the toddler voice in your head that says, well, she gave in, so that just means I just have to yell for a really long time and eventually she'll give in. It's like a toddler crying in the grocery store for a donut, right? If you give that kid a donut, God help you. Because then every time the child is crying in the grocery store, you have to give it a donut. Yeah. And the way to get the child to not cry in the grocery store is to A, not give it a donut ever again, and B, distract it with other things until it stops asking for the donut. It's the same premise. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 182. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped thousands of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we know from experience that it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone you need to find a new tribe. Social norms are so powerful and that's why connecting with others on the same path will keep you on track and inspire you to keep going. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. It's a community where everyone strives for an alcohol-free lifestyle and many of our members are already thriving in their alcohol-free lives and inspiring others. Each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. The main thing that I was looking for, the benefit that I hoped to get, was sleeping, because I've never been a good sleeper. And, okay, I'm not the best sleeper now. I do still wake around 3.30, but I wake lovely. I wake happy with myself, at, at ease with myself, at peace with the world, I pot around, I have a drink, I go to the toilet, I come back and I go back to sleep. Whereas before, I worried about everyone, everything. And mainly, I just spent the time beating myself up and, you know, crying into my pillow. Why did I drink again? So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Or if you'd like to try us out first, then why not sign up for our next five-day sobriety boot camp? It's absolutely free. It takes place on a private Facebook group and it's from the 2nd to the 6th of October. 
five days of connection, training and tasks to get you started or even restarted on your sobriety journey. You can sign up today. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the link on the homepage. Come join the conversation. So my guest today is Belle. Belle got sober back in 2012 and she was one of the first people in this sober space. One of the first to share her own story and to try and help others to make the change. Over the years, Belle has remained anonymous. So I began by asking her what she would like to share about herself. Well, I'm a sober human. I've been uh, sober for almost 11 years, which is kind of surprising. I do baking and catering things. I do sober coaching things. I do writing things. And I live in the United States in Vermont with my husband, who doesn't speak a ton of English. And we speak French at home. Awesome. So let's dive into your, your drinking story, shall we, Belle? When did, when did it all start? Were you a teenage drinker? I wasn't, you know. I was actually afraid of alcohol. I didn't like what people looked like when they'd had too much to drink. I don't know. I was nervous of it, which is sort of surprising considering, you know, where I've ended up now. <laughs> and then I was in my 20s and I had my first full-time job. I had finished my first college and I was waiting to go into my second university program and I was working full-time. And I remember I came home from work and had like one single beer and felt very adult and grown up about it. But then, you know, over a period of time, I would have two, but I would only go to the store and buy one at a time or only buy two. I sort of knew, even from the beginning, not to have six in the house. Mm -hmm. It's more convenient to go and buy a six pack of beer in Canada and then go home than yeah. it is to buy one at a time. But I, I sort of knew like not to have extra in the house. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it spoke to me, right? <laughs> like it speaks the way that chocolate chip cookies might speak to somebody else. You hear lots of people say that they buy a pint of ice cream and eat the whole thing in one sitting. And to mm -hmm. me, I can eat mm -hmm. two spoonfuls and put it back in the fridge. It doesn't speak to me at all. Yeah. Whereas alcohol really does say, drink me now. What about now? How about now? How about now? Probably Wait. then 10 years until I was drinking three four, five times a week, three-ish drinks a night, two and a half, three, four drinks a night, depending on the night. Uh, and then realized that it was quite a bit harder to stop or moderate. I had this really funny period of time where I was, so if, if that started when I was 20, then right around when I was 30, there was this funny period of time where I would arrive at social events with non-alcoholic beer and I would alternate so I would drink a regular beer and then a fake beer and then a regular beer and then a fake beer. But mm. what's funny about that now as a sober person is that I was broadcasting to everyone in the room that I had a moderation problem, like that I, <laughs> that I couldn't just have two. So it would be like, what is she doing now? <laughs> she's, she's drinking which one, the real one or the fake one? And I'm like, oh, I just alternate because I drink too quickly because I drink you know, yeah. compulsively because I drink one plus one plus one. And then another five, six, seven years, eight years later, nine years later, I thought, yeah, okay, maybe I should try to have a period of time with none. And did you? Um, well, <laughs> I made a deal with myself that I would quit for 30 days to prove to myself that I wasn't an alcoholic. 
<laughs> and that was in March. Sounds familiar. I, I, and that was in March of 2012. Because, you know, I only drank five, six out of seven days a week. And I only had two, three, four drinks a night. So couldn't really be a problem, could it? No. No. So then I thought I'd quit for a month. And I think I got to about seven days. And then thought, well, you know, see, I quit for seven days. It's probably not a problem. And, you know, it's really quite hard after seven days to keep going. And I didn't know then what I know now, which is you can't really just quit with no strategy and no plan and no support and no maintenance and no tools. You can't just sort of hold your breath and go underwater and hope to hold your breath for a month. You can, as I've seen with the people that I've worked with, you can hold your breath for seven to nine days. Yeah, yeah. But that's it. Then then that, you run out of willpower, you know? Exactly. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So you got married, didn't you, in your late 30s, I yeah. think? And I think when you were newly married, you, you enjoyed drinking together, I think. That's you? right. Yeah. It was like I now I had a partner in crime, right? Like it wasn't just exactly. me having yeah. drinks five nights a week. We could have, you know, dinner, quote unquote, and we could have wine with dinner and we could buy wine by the case and we could order bottle because I would never order a bottle of wine in a, in a, in a restaurant when I was single. So, but as a couple, you could. And yeah. then drink more when you got home and then, you know, he could go out and get more when we ran out. And it just seemed, I mean, in some terrible way, it sort of seemed like playing house, right? It seemed very grown up. Yes. Yeah. Um, not the way that we were drinking it, mind you, but the idea in my head was that it was grown up. So you were drinking about the same amount. He was also enthusiastic, was he? About the alcohol. Yes, I would say yes to that. And I had no idea at all that he was a normie. There was no indication at all that he didn't Mm. think about it the same way that I thought about it until I quit. And then it became very... He he was just keeping you company, wasn't he? Yeah, Yeah, mine was like that. And then I was like... (laughs) Because when when I stopped, my husband hardly touches alcohol now. When I found that out, I was like, oh, my God, it was me? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were the ringleaders. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so what happened? When did you start worrying about it and thinking, I've got to do something about this? Well, 2012, so I guess I was 44. I thought, right. okay, I'm going to quit for a month. It's no big deal. Now, up to then, I had done some self-discipline work, and I had done some behavior modification, habits-based stuff. I was self-employed. I was always trying to maximize my potential. I was always, you know, and I was working as a caterer and having to get up early, and I would go through these periods where I'd quit for three days, and then I'd quit for six, and then I'd have a large catering job, and, and I'd quit for a week because I knew I couldn't drink at the same time. So it it's not that I wasn't aware. I knew to give it up every time I had to, if I had to get up at 5am, I couldn't have had a drink the night before, like not even one, I just couldn't, it affected my sleep so badly. And so right around then I had done a week, I'd done a bit, I'd done a bit more. And then I thought, well, I should be able to quit for a month. And then when I wasn't able to quit for a month, that's when the penny dropped. It was like, okay, that's not good. You can quit for a while. You can quit when you need to. It's like when you say to people, I could quit if I wanted to, I just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried? Because if you try, then you find out that it's way harder than you think for reasons that aren't intuitive, right? Like you can't tell why it's so hard. 
I think many of us discover that we we are dependent when we try to That's take exactly. a break. Yes, yes. <laughs> but the, I really yeah, get your holding your yeah. breath underwater thing because I always used to do dry January and I was literally white nothing right. it until the end of January and then oh right. you know and then fall on the wine with great abandon. But I, again, you know, I convinced myself I didn't have a problem because I could always do right. dry January. And when I work one on one with people, the the first pledge that we have is for longer than thirty days because thirty days. Is is actually yes. not long enough to learn anything. 30 days, no. you can hold your breath. No. Right, like you said. Right. You're so right. And also the 30 days isn't really long enough to get many benefits. Yes. Yeah. Well, not I if you're waiting to benefit. drink. You're just sitting on the couch waiting to drink. Mm. It's not like you're developing any new strategies. <laughs> right. It has to be for longer. Now, I found it's easier to quit for a fixed length of time that is longer and then extend the time as you get close to the end of the time. Yes. Absolutely. But it needs to be like 100 days, not 30 is too short. Yeah. Yeah. We get people to quit for 66 days because you're supposed to be able to form a habit within 66 days. But then when they get to 66 days, we say, why don't you try for 100? Mm. And normally people feel so much better after 66 days that they, they go for right. it. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. We need to do it in stages. Otherwise, it's just so overwhelming, isn't it? The thought of never having a drink again. Good grief. How does that work? <laughs> well, and we have a head that says all kinds of things to us when we try to remove the booze. I mean, for most of us, it's a psychological dependence, not a physical one. Yeah. I was interviewing a, a doctor, actually, and she told me that uh, only 10% of drinkers are physically dependent. The rest of right. us are psychologically. Right. I thought that was so interesting. I was very surprised to hear that. Well, if you're physically dependent, you're going to need inpatient treatment. You're going to need to yes, go to yes. rehab and stay in. Of course, most of us want to avoid that. Yeah. And the, and the people that we work with, I mean, we always give them warnings. You know, if you're drinking this much, you must go to the doctor, etc. But hardly anyone says, I, w I was detoxing to such an extent that I was shaking and feeling really bad, which would indicate that most people are not physically mm. dependent, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah I, I, have more, I have more people indicating that they have withdrawal symptoms. But, but it's also normal to feel pretty crummy in the first seven to nine oh, yeah. days sober yeah psychologically or physically addicted psychologically addicted you can still feel like you have the flu you can still feel quite unwell oh, yeah yeah th those first couple of weeks are, are so difficult that's why yeah it's it's a shame when when we i mean i did it as well when we fall off and on the wagon all the time because we're just doing the hardest bit over and over again aren't mm. we somehow we just have to keep pushing through and then it does get better but yes i agree those first two or three weeks are, right. are not a nice a nice time at all so how did you actually do it bell so you were taking breaks realizing that you were dependent psychologically dependent yeah and then i yeah. thought okay i'll quit for longer. And somewhere in there, somewhere between March and when I finally quit, which was June 30th, July 1st, somewhere in there, I discovered an online sober blog, which I hadn't known existed, although I had searched previously for Am I an Alcoholic? This is pre-Facebook groups. This is, there was Yahoo groups. There was no Instagram. There was no social media. And so people wrote blogs and WordPress blogs, but you had to go to them. They, you had to know they existed and you had to go and read them. And I discovered a sober blog passed to me from an alcoholic friend, in fact, who was trying to quit. 
And he sent me the link and said something like, I, I would never want to do it like this, like the public display with the blog and everything. And as I read the blog, I thought, oh, that's exactly what I want to do. Because to him, it was like, <laughs> I would never do it like that. And I, was, and I read it and thought, oh, I would do it exactly like that. Like, can you imagine if you could actually broadcast anonymously and have other people who are doing the same thing respond? And that's what you did, isn't it? You're tired of drinking blog started about that time, did it? Right. So when I decided to quit for Dry July, I got to about day seven, eight, nine again and realized that I was going to relapse again. So my second trial to do a month, I was going to be about seven to nine days again. And that's when I thought, okay, I have to start my own, I have to change what I'm doing, right? I have to actually approach this differently, or I'm going to get the same result that I got in, in March of that same year. And so I created a WordPress blog, an anonymous blog, and I put up my first post that first day, which is whatever, day nine of my 30 days. And then once I had posted it, I went to bed and got up in the morning and there was already a comment because what I didn't know then was that if you're all blogging using WordPress, then you're all notified when certain keywords that you use like sober are published on other people's blogs. So you'd get a notification that there was another sober blog entry somewhere. And so people who I didn't know who didn't just like scroll through Google and find me. Like there was some other background web of links going on that I was unaware of. But basically a stranger showed up on my blog and left a comment like, you know, hope you made it through the night, hope you're doing okay. And it was surprisingly helpful. It was surprising. Yeah, and it's, it's quite exciting, isn't it, when you get a comment? Yeah. <laughs> the first comment, wow. It's quite, uh, because then you're not alone, right? And then somebody else yeah, says, yeah. well, I have a head that says the same thing. And somebody else says, that happened to me, but it got better. And then there's somebody further along who says, that's a pretty normal experience for the first week. Just watch for this and this and do a bit of that and that. And you think, oh, really? There's a roadmap? <laughs> there's other people who've done it? Because... As far as I knew, the only way to recover from overdrinking was AA or rehab. In 2012, there were really no other publicly discussed options. No. So I didn't think I was bad enough to go to AA or rehab. And so I think I just thought I was going to suffer along as a gray area drinker with no support until I started this blogging thing and found out that I wasn't alone. Yeah. And there's something nice about you all figuring it out together, isn't it, as well, and giving each other advice, I think. Yeah, your story reminds me a little bit of Claire Pooley. Mm-hmm. Do you know that mm-hmm. story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's not anonymous at all, uh, but she was for the first two or three years. And then the publisher approached her and asked her to write a, a book, which she did. But then the publisher kind of broke it to her that she would have to do these publicity tours and and be out there. So uh, I I always remember her telling me that the night before the book was published, she was so anxious because she knew that she had to take the kids to school as normal and she'd be at the school gates and, you know, the other mums would be going, oh, that must be sober mummy, as she called herself. She was just anonymous for three to four years, I think. And it helped her enormously having this blog. And it helped, obviously, so many other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, blogging is great. And you are a writer anyway. So how did your book come about? When did you write Tired of Thinking About Drinking? 2016. 
So four okay. years along, so, I had just, right. my pen pals had just asked me, like I was sending, I was writing the blog every day for the first year. And then I started to send out daily emails as well as publishing some things on the blog. And now it's almost exclusively by email. I send out one to two emails a day to right now about 35,000 people a day, but it's been as many as 80,000 over the last wow. 11 years. Yeah. So I remember you saying on another podcast that you had a spreadsheet. I thought, wow, that must be quite something. Right. right. I have a spreadsheet that has the person's screen name and their start date and their end date. And then they tell me how they're doing. If I open it up right now, then I'm the first one in the chart. And my first one, two, three, four pen pals are there. I'm at day three, nine, five, eight, which means I'm just coming up to my 11 year soberversary. At one point, I thought it would be hilarious that there was like 100 of us doing the 100 day <laughs> sober challenge. And I started that in March of 2013. And by May of 2013, there were 100 people. So talk to us about Wolfie Bell. I like Wolfie. How did you finally shut him up? Oh, to shut up the voice in your head that thinks that drinking is a good idea, you need to get away from day one. The only thing that I found that works to turn off a compulsive request to repeat a destructive behavior is to extinguish the behavior and wait. And so you have to actually get away from day one and use whatever tools it takes to get away from day one, because it does eventually stop asking. But like any good compulsive behavior, if you give into it once, you sort of reignite the, you reignite the toddler voice in your head that says, well, she gave in. So that just means I just have to yell for a really long time and eventually she'll give in. It's like a toddler crying in the grocery store for a donut, right? If you give that kid a donut, God help you. Because then every time the child is crying in the grocery store, you have to give it a donut. Yeah. And the way to get the child to not cry in the grocery store is to A, not give it a donut ever again, and B, distract it with other things until it stops asking for the donut. It's the same premise, but I don't think that people approach quitting drinking, they don't associate it with a compulsive behavior, and they don't associate it with things that we would use cognitive behavior therapy for. I think that people thought that alcohol addiction was weakness or that it was a character flaw, and so... yeah. When I started doing this, there were no other sober coaches. There were no other sober coaches online. And so there wasn't like somebody else with a competing strategy to mine. It's that I was a teacher. It's that I knew something about cognitive behavior therapy. It's that I knew something about self-discipline and rewards and accountability. But I had never applied it to drinking until I tried to quit myself. So what are your top tips to somebody that wants to quit drinking? I think a comment that you made previously about how terrible the first two weeks are, I think that, that those sorts of comments have to be softened by something more realistic, which is parts of days will suck. It's not the whole day. Yeah. It's not every, and it's not every yeah. day. And it's not all day. The wolfy voice will yell for 25 minutes, 40 minutes. 45 minutes, really, is sort of like the max. Most of us have a witching hour. We have a time of day that is harder. Most of us wake up in the morning feeling okay to be sober. Most of us around supper time, five, six, seven o'clock at night, think it's stupid to be sober. Then we go to bed and we wake up the next day and we're happy about it again. So yeah. part of it is sort of a realistic expectation of what you're looking at. 
if we've been trying to quit drinking and you've been trying with a certain strategy of holding your breath or willpower, or I listen to a podcast or I read a book and it's not enough, then you have to look at the facts of that and say, okay, what I've been trying hasn't been quite enough. What else can I add on in addition? So it's about layering supports, not about swapping one out for another. If you are cold, you put on more blankets. You don't take off a blanket and put a different one on. You put a second blanket on. You put a third blanket on. And so most of us try to quit drinking with two tools when really 10 would be better. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of layering. Yeah. And then in the, in the appendix of my book, I've listed 60 sober tools all the way from wow. go to bed early to inpatient treatment and everything in between. The problem is that we will look through and try to pick the four easiest ones. Then when we're not successful, we'll go, wow, I guess it doesn't work. I guess I can't quit. I guess I didn't really have a problem. I guess I, you know, I guess I'm broken instead of, okay, well, those four weren't enough. So then why why don't you go to to 12 and why don't you then go to 30 tools used concurrently at the same time? That's the part I think that's hard to accept is that. If you're trying to like make a new habit of going to the gym and simply buying a gym membership isn't enough because it isn't for anybody, uh, signing up for a class is more helpful because then you've added accountability. You've added a person, you've spent money. You want to get your money's worth. You want to go and see if you hire a personal trainer who's standing in the gym waiting for you even better, right? You're more likely to show up. Then you're more likely to do the work. Then you're more likely to get the result. Uh, If you could read a book about weightlifting and have that be enough, good luck to you. If you think that you can read a book about being sober and then magically quit and deal with all of the compulsive thinking and wacky brain stuff and transitions and how do I deal with birthday and Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and death and disappointment without alcohol with nobody to talk to, it's unlikely. It's unlikely unless you're like, you know, immersed in some sober world, like reading, like online, like podcasts, like Instagram now. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in and just shoot the breeze about alcohol free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. As a writer, I was wondering, did you use journaling a lot in your early days? Yes, but I posted them online as blogs. Yes. So I oh, did, I see, I right. did write something every day, but I posted it online. Yeah. And I, so it just meant that I anonymized it enough that I could share it. Like, I didn't want to tell the story of other people whose permission I did not have to tell their story. Uh, Like, you know, Mm. sort of my immediate family stuff is all generic stuff because it's my story too. And not, I'm not telling the story of my sister or of my mother. I talk about me and I sometimes say family. Yeah, I, I absolutely wrote every day, but I wrote with an audience to know that somebody was going to be keeping track of me which is one of the components that I've built into the training to the coaching program that I have, which is that people write to me every day by email and they don't have to say anything earth shattering, but they have to just sort of record how you're doing. What did you do today to maintain your sobriety? What were the challenges? Who said what to you that made you feel like what? Just a record because knowing that somebody else is going to read it makes it real the same way that posting a blog does. 
The thing about writing in a journal alone is that it's you alone in your head with you. And if that is a satisfactory tool and you are long-term continuously sober with that tool, then fantastic. But if you are not, then it's not enough. And my guess is that most of us don't get out of compulsive overdrinking with a loud, wolfy voice that yells, drink now, as soon as you try to reduce. And I mean, as soon as we try to have one drink and then stop, the voice just starts to scream. Absolutely. So to think that we are going to get out of that by journaling to ourselves with the wolfy voice in there, feeding us nonsense like, well, it wasn't that bad and I did get six hours and I am drinking less than I was last year. Surely I can have one right. glass now. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, Belle, talk to us about how your life has changed in those early years. I mean, you went from drinking a lot to being sober. What, what were the main benefits for you? My sleep dramatically improved, for sure. And that's not nothing, because I have to get up early in the morning to make bread. And so it, uh, being able to get up and not hate yourself or hate your life is a significant improvement. I could count on myself, meaning I could say I was going to do things and then actually do it, which is different from the sort of three glasses of wine. That sounds great. I'd love to do that. And then you can't follow through. So there's definitely being able to count on yourself is an, an improvement. Feeling proud of yourself is kind of a very large achievement that has, yeah. has ripple effects and follow through. I think that I didn't know that my drinking was making my anxiety worse. I thought I was drinking to help with my anxiety. I had no idea, nor could you have told me. I would not have believed you had you told me yeah. that drinking made anxiety worse. So I was shocked to find that my anxiety was better once I was past 30 days, 45 days. My irritability in general was dramatically reduced compared to hangover me. Like hangover bell is completely irritated compared to unhungover me. <laughs> Like the number of arguments or crying fights or crying jags, like it all stopped. And in the months after I quit drinking, because I wasn't, I didn't think I had a problem and because I didn't think I was even dependent, I, I was all like a shocking revelation of how many large positive changes there were. So much so that I remember telling a drinking friend at the time that I was on day, I don't know, 42, six weeks sober. And I met him out in the street in front of the grocery store in France. And I said to him, he said, oh, are you still off the sauce? And I said, yeah, you know what? It's been like six weeks. I feel good. I feel better than I felt in a long time. And he looks at me and he sort of squints his eyes and he says, how do you know it's not a coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> like, right. So that I can find a way to keep drinking? Like, what benefit would that have? Uh, is it a coincidence that I magically feel better right up based on the day that I stopped pouring a bottle of wine a night on my head? Probably not. It's probably not a coincidence. But it's said, that says much more about him and his drinking than it does about me, obviously. Oh, yes. Yeah. And when I would come back to Canada or I would go to see people who knew me before as a, as a drinker, I would just say, yeah, I'm not drinking these days. I found it was affecting my sleep. That's my total sentence. 11 years later, that is my total sentence. I'm not drinking these days, I found it affected my sleep. That's true. All true. I have never, yeah. out of all of the people I've said that to, family, over-drinking friends, sober friends, I've never had anyone say to me, well, how long is these days? Yeah. No one's ever asked me, well, how long since you had your last drink? Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. And I'm just like waiting to say 11 years. I'm just waiting, waiting. <laughs> Nobody asks. It's like, oh, are you still not oh, drinking? Yeah, I'm shame. still not drinking. No one then says, 
How long has it been? No, no one. They, people don't care. Even my biggest overdrinking friends back home, if I fly in there tomorrow and we all head off to a house party to catch up and have dinner, I'm the one not drinking. Are you still not drinking? Yeah, still not drinking. Oh my God, I could never do that. And then onwards we go through the conversation. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't have to share your life story with everybody, do you? I mean, there's a lot of out and proud kinds of sobriety on the internet. There is a mm. whole lot of burn the bridges. If you don't tell everybody, it's a recipe for disaster. You, uh, we, it's our responsibility to rescue all the people around us. And I understand that. And I absolutely think there's a place for that in the world on the internet. I also think there's a place for recovering and getting on with your life and not being the poster child for sobriety and not being a message bearer unless someone asks you. I don't feel the need to proselytize. Although if somebody said to me, you don't drink, I would say, I don't drink. Why don't you drink? Affected my sleep. If somebody then said, was it hard? Okay. Then I would answer that question. We can always tell, can't we, if someone's asking for advice. And if somebody yeah. legitimately is asking me how to quit drinking, I'd offer advice. They don't ask that question. They float around it or they walk around it, or most people are like strangely curious. And I have no, no problem not satisfying your curiosity about my sobriety. It's none of your business, especially if I don't know you. Yeah, we, do, we just need a line like that that we're comfortable with. And that just stops the conversation, doesn't it? And we can talk about something more interesting then. Right. So if someone is listening to this, Belle, and they do want to make a change, they do want to quit drinking, how would you suggest they get started? What should the first step be? Well, you'd want to read some stuff and immerse yourself in the sober world, even if you don't speak or raise your hand or participate. Like, to begin... You'd want to read a couple of books and you'd want to listen to a few podcasts and find a person who has a voice that resonates with you, that sounds like they have had a similar experience or they've worked with people who've had similar experiences or they, something about it resonates because there's lots of nuttiness on the internet, right? It's, it's, it's not just, it's not just the yellow pages where you look up sober coach and take the first one off the list. That, it, it's sort of like how you find a dentist, right? You either get a referral or you go once for a small cleaning and you see how you like them. And then you go back maybe more for more. Not that getting sober is like going to the dentist because it's way better, in fact, than going <laughs> to the dentist. But, Much better. but, you know, I'm not going to let somebody drill in my head if I don't like them. So I think, you know, you sort of surf around a little bit until you find... Yeah, uh, a group. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest uh, pieces of advice I would give is that a room full of people on day one is not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is somebody further along than you. So if you're in a group, make sure there's a moderator and make sure there's a leader and that it isn't just isn't just all people on day one. Because sure, you need inspiration, don't you, from people further down the road. So you can look at them and think, well, she looks quite happy right. and pleased with herself that she's not drinking. But you also need so it, maybe it is possible. You need advice. You need to be told what to do yeah. next. You need to be told what to look out for. You need to be encouraged that this part is good, but that this part over here is a worry. Somebody else on day two can't do that because they don't know. And also when you're in early sobriety, relapse feels contagious. If your friend that you entered in with on day five also relapses on day five, then you just feel at risk. If you've tied your support to somebody else on day five. And so 
But, you know, where do you find these people further ahead than you? I mean, AA is the the easiest and most logical answer. It's just that most people don't want to do AA, but, but AA exists and it's free. And there's lots of online communities of course. around now. Right. Seven years ago, I stopped drinking uh, and I didn't know where to go apart from AA, right. which is where I went. Yeah. And in those days, there were no alcohol-free drinks either. Right. So things are really changing. And as you talked about Instagram, yeah. and there's there's a great, there's many pathways you can take these days. So I say to people, try lots of groups. You know, you can sign up for a month with this one and then try that one. And you'll find your people. Mm. That That's how it works. Mm. So your book, Belle, which I enjoyed, I got it on Kindle. How can people find your book, Tired of Thinking About Drinking? Well, that's the name of the website too. So if you go to my, if you type in tiredofthinkingaboutdrinking.com, it'll take you to my website and you sign up there for the free daily emails. And then I send you a link to where you can get the book and a bunch of other links. Anything else you think we should mention, Belle? I guess if I could bypass you and speak directly to the audience, I would say that, you know, you're not alone with this. And just because you haven't had luck up to now doesn't mean that you can't or won't. It just means that you want to change what you've been doing. And it's okay to look at different supports, including stuff that your head thinks is a bad idea. I mean, frankly, the wolfy voice wants to keep us drinking. And so it'll often say no to things that could be quite helpful. So if what you've been trying hasn't working, it's okay to try something else, something new. Thank you for the share, Belle, and some great tips there. Let's pull out some key points from the conversation. So let's look at Belle's story, first of all. As a teenager, she was not very interested in alcohol. She'd actually noticed what it did to people, and she didn't like what she saw. As she got into her 20s, she would have the odd beer. Interestingly, she would never buy a six-pack. Somehow she knew it was a better idea to buy a single beer at a time. Because way before she had developed any level of dependence, she recognised that alcohol spoke to her, as she put it. A decade later, her consumption had stepped up until she was drinking four or five times a week, three or four drinks at a time. And as she hit 30, she was finding it harder to moderate. She started taking alcohol-free beers to social events and alternating between her alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. She actually drank quite fast, which many of us that have developed dependence do. A decade later, she decided that she needed to take a break from alcohol to prove that she wasn't an alcoholic. In her late 30s, Belle had got married and she felt that she had a partner in crime. Drinking wine with dinner at home and ordering a bottle when they were out didn't seem at all excessive. They would order wine by the case and it all felt very grown up and sophisticated. Belle's husband drank the same amount that she did, but in fact, he didn't think about alcohol in the same way that she did. This realisation didn't actually surface until she quit, when she realised that he could take it or leave it. He was a normie. Belle was used to taking a few days off the booze now and again, when her workload got heavy or she had to get up particularly early. But when she did decide to quit for a month, she only got as far as seven days. That was when it hit her that she might have a problem. 
Her second attempt at taking a month off alcohol also failed, so she decided she had to approach this differently. A friend of hers had sent her a blog from someone who was trying to quit drinking. Belle actually loved the idea of blogging and getting responses from people who were on the same path. So she created a blog on WordPress and posted her first entry. The next day, she got an encouraging response and she found it surprisingly helpful. People were giving her advice and confirming that yes, those first couple of weeks were hard. And suddenly she realised that she wasn't alone. There was actually a roadmap to this sobriety journey. Back in 2012, there were no real alternatives to AA or rehab and she'd never felt bad enough for those options, so she imagined that she would just have to struggle along as a grey area drinker. So her blog was such a revelation that she wasn't alone in this, and there were other people out there who she could connect with. She blogged for a year, and then she started to offer online support via daily mails. I asked Belle for her personal benefits of sobriety. She listed sleep, being able to count on herself and feeling proud of herself. Proud for making such a big change which has had a ripple effect through her life. Her anxiety and irritability has reduced and overall she was surprised at the positive impact that this change had made to her life. She remains unconcerned about questions about her alcohol-free lifestyle as she feels that people are actually not that interested. If she is asked, she just says, I'm not drinking these days as it was affecting my sleep and finds that nobody ever takes that further. In 2016, she wrote a book called Tired of Thinking About Drinking, which was the name of her blog. If you're familiar with Belle's work, then you will know all about Wolfie. That was the name she gave the voice in her head which urged her to drink. I loved her analogy about the toddler in the supermarket yelling for a donut. If you give him a donut, he's just going to repeat that behaviour next time. The trick, of course, is to deny the donut that first time. And even though it's going to get noisy and embarrassing in the supermarket, the child is unlikely to repeat the behaviour as it didn't work. So it's really worth going through the pain. And every time you deny yourself a drink, you're going to get stronger. So we have to learn to say no to Wolfie. Say no to that voice in our head telling us we can have a drink. So what can we learn from Belle's inspiring story? Well, just like Belle, so many of us try to take a short break to prove that we are not alcoholic. To prove to ourselves as much as anybody else, I think. And I think that accounts for the popularity of dry January because most people can grit their teeth and white-knuckle it through 30 days using willpower alone. But of course, making a permanent change is not about willpower. It's about changing our mindset and the way we see alcohol. So many of us first realise that we do have a problem with alcohol when we try to take a break and we find it really hard. That's why it's so important to take regular breaks. And if you do realise that you have a problem, get started on solving it right away. The sooner we step off that slippery slope, the easier it is. Belle uses the analogy of underwater swimming 
as she says we can hold our breath but we'll only get so far. Without tools, strategies and support, it's going to be hard for many people to clock out more than seven to nine alcohol-free days. And we agreed that a 30-day break is just not long enough to learn anything or to experience any real benefits. That's why we offer a 66-day challenge that you can start any day in September. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the info on the homepage. As Bell said, it makes sense to take a challenge to quit for a certain number of days and then extend it. The chances are that by the end of the challenge, you'll be feeling so much better, you'll be open to extending it. That approach has worked so well for many of Tribe Sober members. We always avoid the F word, the forever word. It's just too overwhelming. The thought of never drinking again. So the answer is to do it in stages. As Belle said, our head tells us all sorts of things when we try to quit. And that's probably because for most of us, the dependence is psychological rather than physical. Only 10% of drinkers are physically dependent. And those are the people who will experience serious withdrawal symptoms and need to go to rehab for a medical detox. If you want to learn more about this, then go to Tribe Sober podcast episode called Are You Physically or Psychologically Addicted to Alcohol? That one was released on June the 19th, 2021. Even if you are only psychologically dependent, you do need to prepare yourself for a difficult period during those first couple of weeks. But however, as Belle explained, it's important to remember that it's only parts of each day which will be difficult. You're almost bound to wake up feeling good and pleased with yourself and just as likely that you'll get to 5pm and wonder why on earth you're doing this, as that will be when Wolfie will be whispering in your ear. Being aware of this ebb and flow will help you to get through. Another great tip from Belle was that if whatever we've done in the past didn't work, then rather than drop that method and try something else, we can layer another method on top. Just think about layering for a moment. If we're cold, we don't take off a blanket and put another one on. We add more blankets. And at the back of her book, Belle lists 60 sober tools. As she says, people tend to pick the easiest ones. And if they don't work, then they try others. So the secret is to keep those easier ones going and then layer more on top. Belle used her blog to track her sober journey and she'd write every day. That's why she asked people to email her and let her know how they're doing. And that's why we have our various chat groups where our members can post their progress and get some response. Tips from Belle to someone who wants to get started but they're not quite sure how. Just read a couple of books, listen to some podcasts and then find a sobriety group that resonates with you. As she said, you don't want a room full of people on day one. You need people at all stages of the journey. People you can learn from and give you advice. People who will inspire you to keep going. We can offer you that at Tribe Sober. So if you're ready to dive in, get learning, get connecting and get started on that roadmap, then join Tribe Sober.
just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Or if you'd like to try us out first, then why not sign up for our free five-day sobriety boot camp from the 2nd to the 6th of October. Five days of connection, training and tasks to get you started or restarted on your sobriety journey. And it's all absolutely free. You can sign up today and join the conversation. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the link to the Facebook group on the homepage. So let me finish with a couple of messages from our UK and Europe chat group. Here's one from Barry in Scotland. Morning all, just popping in to say hello on yet another day one. Time to start leaning in, I think. Barry got plenty of replies. Here's a nice one from Sean. Lovely to hear from you again, Barry. I think this is a journey. I had loads of day ones before I joined Tribe Sober. Then I did six months. Then I drank for a month. Then I did 13 months and thought I'd learned the lessons. But then I drank for another month. Got the worst hangover. And now I'm on 11 months. But I know it'll be forever. It's not an easy path to take in a world run by alcohol. But you'll get there just on your path and in your time. That's a great message, Sean. Thank you. You're so right. And then some words of wisdom from Lucy, who says, If you can get your head round the fact that there are no real benefits of drinking alcohol, you've cracked it. Life doesn't end when you stop drinking. It actually begins. How true, Lucy. And finally, from Louise. Hi, Barry. I've had so many day ones, I'd lost count. Leaning in on this group was a huge help for me. The support I had every day was amazing and it kept me going. Stay strong. So hang in there, Barry. You can do this and you've got some great support. Just keep posting your progress on this group every single day. That's it from me. I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards. And that's just for starters. So go to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.